Hey, uh, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're here, you don't normally uh, welcome here. If you're watching online, welcome. Uh, but you probably noticed that I'm sitting on a stool this morning, which I don't normally do. Uh, and I'm not sitting on the stool because I have some illustration to make or whatever, or I'm tired or lazy. Uh, but I injured my hip flexor this week somehow, and so I can barely stand up. So I had two options, sit on a stool or give the sermon on one leg the whole time. And I opted for the stool. So that's why I'm sitting this morning. And you're welcome to stay seated as well. Or if you want to stand up, you can stand up. So there we go. Hey, uh, so this morning as we begin, I want to give you um, a bit of behind the scenes of River Ridge Church sermon preparation. And uh, one of the things that, that people say uh, about River Ridge Church in, in, when they talk about what they like and so forth, they say, you know, I really find that the sermons are engaging. Like, they're not boring. I feel like I, I, I listen and I pay attention the whole time. And people will say that to me um, fairly frequently. And, uh, and so this morning, I want to just give you why that is, the special sauce behind sermon preparation. And uh, so, first of all, all of God's Word, everything written in the Bible, is in here to help us to grow in our love for God and our love for people. So every story, every part of it, in one way or another, points to loving God and trusting God and following God, or loving, caring, encouraging, living at peace with people. One of those two, or in some cases, both. And so what we do at the beginning of just about every sermon is we take a few minutes to raise some questions about life. You know, what are the struggles that we have in life? What are the expectations that we have in life? What are the things that we, you know, we ask a bunch of questions. We raise these questions and, and try and get all of us thinking in the same direction. No matter where we're coming from, we're, we're kind of thinking about these questions and wanting to know what's the answer to the question. And then what we do is we open up the Bible, we open up God's Word, and we say, here's how the question is answered by what God says. And so we'll kind of connect the dots between the question at the beginning and what the Bible says. We'll connect those dots, and then we'll go and we'll say, how do we apply that in our everyday lives? And so that's basically how sermons flow around here and how we kind of prepare them and try and keep them as engaging as possible. So don't tell anybody. That's just our little secret here. But so about three weeks ago, I had an aha moment about sermons at River Ridge. And the aha moment came when I was in Croatia. And some of you all know this if you follow me on Facebook or my wife on Facebook uh, or if you follow our kids on Instagram. Uh, but we were in Croatia. My mom and dad uh, took us over there, uh, our whole family and my brother and his wife and uh, her son. And uh, we just had a phenomenal time. In Croatia, you don't really think about it as being a vacation destination. Uh, it's part of former Yugoslavia. Uh, but it's actually this amazingly beautiful country with a lot of rich history. And one of the neat things about being over there is that the World Cup soccer was going on at the time, and Croatia was in it. And it was just really fun to watch soccer, you know, in the places over there while Croatia was doing well. The other thing that's amazing about Croatia is the gelato ice cream is just it's amazing. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's worth the trip over there just to get gelato ice cream. So, anyway, back to my aha moment in Croatia. So, our, our, uh, our vacation, basically, was we lived on a boat and then had bikes on the boat, and we would uh, eat our meals on the boat. We'd get off of these islands. We would ride across the island, and the boat would meet us on the other side. But a couple of times throughout our time in Croatia, uh, we would go on these 
sort of town, city visits. And we'd have a tour guide that would take us around. And we would get to a, a, maybe a square, and the tour guide would look at something and say, let me tell you why this is so important. And, and you know, she would be pointing towards like a 14th century tower or a statue or a broken wall or a half of a castle. And she'd say, let me tell you why this is so important. This is so and, and she would sort of build up this tension where you, you know, she wanted us to go, I can't wait to find out why this 14th century tower is so important. Why is it so important? Please tell me. I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking, where's the gelato store? That's what I was thinking. But my mom was like, oh, this is great. I love this. So, but here's the thing that I, that I realized is I didn't really care about the 14th century tower because I didn't really care about her question, right? So she's asking this question, and I don't really care about the answer. And, and I realized that that's really kind of true of a lot of life, that if you don't care about the question then you're not going to care about the answer. And so this morning, here's the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. Is how do we go about making a difference in our world? How do we go about making an impact on the world around us? You know, and, and part of that is our immediate world, our family, our friends, the place that we work. How do we make a difference there? But also, how do we make a difference in our city? How do we make a difference across the valley? How do we make a difference in West Virginia? How do we make a difference in our country? How do we make a difference in the whole world? How do we go about making a difference in the world, whether it's the world or our world? But here's the thing. If you don't care about making a difference in the world, then you don't care about the answer. And and I mention that because... When I say, how do we make a difference in the world? If you're listening, saying, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't really care about other people. I just want to live my life. I don't really care about the world out there. I'm just trying to make me happy. Then this message will be pretty irrelevant to you. But if you, there's a part of you that says, I want to make a difference in the world around me. I want to make an impact with my life and the time that I spend on this earth. I want to make a difference. Then what we're going to do this morning is going to help you immensely. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at an interaction that Jesus has with a guy named Saul. Now, this is the week eight of the series Road Trip. And the first seven weeks, we've looked at these different interactions with Jesus. We've followed him around the Judean countryside, and we've listened in on conversations that he has with people. And so if you've missed those, I encourage you to pick those up uh, online via audio or video. But this morning will be a standalone message. So if you've missed those, that's okay. But this one is a little bit different than the previous seven. Because this morning, what we're going to look at is a story of Jesus in a conversation. And it's after he's been crucified. It's after he rose from the dead. And it's after he rose from the dead. And it's after he ascended into heaven. And it takes place where Jesus is in heaven and Saul is on earth. Now, in the Bible, uh, we're going we're to be looking at Acts chapter 9 if you want to turn there. Uh, but in the Bible, there are two Sauls that are somewhat famous, I guess you'd say. There's Saul of the Old Testament, who was the first king of Israel. Uh, and then there's Saul of the New Testament, who eventually his name changes and he becomes known as Paul. And that may be a word or a name that you're probably familiar with. And 
Here's the thing about uh, Saul or Paul. If we're talking about making a difference in the world, outside of Jesus, I would argue that there's probably no person that has made a bigger impact on the world than Saul. You see, over half of the New Testament is written by Saul or by Paul. At this point in time, up until Acts chapter, really Acts chapter 8, uh, up until this point in time, Christianity is just geographically centered in Jerusalem. It's not out in the world. But then Saul does something intentionally and unintentionally that spreads the gospel all over the world. You know, at this point, the gospel, Christianity, is just for Jewish people. It's a sect of Judaism, but because of what Paul does with his life, it becomes worldwide for anybody, anywhere. And he also, and this is really kind of neat if you can grasp this, but if you think about in your life, who's the person that, was, that led you to Christ? Who was the person that was most spiritually influential to have you become a Christian? And if you were to take that person and then take that back a generation spiritually and back a generation, and you went all the way back, all the way back, all the way back, the chances are that every single person in this room would trace our spiritual heritage, our spiritual genealogy, all the way back to Paul. He had an incredible impact on the world around us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look in on his life and this conversation that he has with Jesus, and we're going to see some things that he did that are repeatable for us so that we can have an impact on the world around us. So open up to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we have together, that we can look at this conversation that Jesus had with Saul, and we can learn from it. And I pray that you would help us uh, to see ourselves in this story, and that you would help us to know uh, who it is and what it is that you want us to do in terms of our lives and making an impact in this world for you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 9 Beginning in verse 1, it says this. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called Christianity at the time, the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as we begin in this story, we've got Saul... And he has asked the high priest, he said, I'd like some letters so that I can go looking for Christians and bring them back so they could stand trial for their faith and for their heresy, basically, here in Jerusalem. Now, this is not the first mention of Saul. We're going to actually go back a couple chapters real briefly. And there's a man named Stephen. And Stephen uh, was very bold, and he preached the gospel. But because he preached the gospel, there were people that didn't like what he had to say. There was a mob that formed that wanted Stephen to be killed. And it says this in Acts 7, 58. It says, They cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then it goes on in uh, the first verse of chapter 8, and it says, 
And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions. So interestingly enough, again, I said Paul was responsible for spreading the gospel outside of Jerusalem. But the first time he does it, it, it's unwittingly. He doesn't mean to do it. But because he's persecuting the church in Jerusalem, the church then scatters. And so it says two things in these verses I read. It says that they laid their feet at the garment, laid their garments at the feet of Saul, and it says that he was there giving his approval. Now, if you remember, there's a movie called Gladiator, and there's an interesting scene in the movie Gladiator, and it's in a couple of other scenes in a similar type of way, but the Roman emperor had the power over life and death. And there's a scene in Gladiator where they, uh, the crowd is sort of cheering for and some are cheering against for uh, the gladiator, I think his name is Maximus, to be killed. And so the, if you remember, the emperor holds his hand like this with his thumb sideways. And if he says thumbs up, then he gets to live. But if he does thumbs down, then the gladiator will be killed. And while Saul didn't hold his thumb up, what was going on was the same type of thing. That if he had given a thumbs up, then they would have allowed Stephen to live, just thrown a few rocks and left him alone. But instead, Saul gave a thumbs down. He approved the murder, the killing, the stoning of Stephen. That's who Saul was. And because of that, the church spread. And because the church spread, Saul now wanted to go out to all the different places and round up the Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to have them tried and killed if he could possibly influence that. And so that's why he's headed to Damascus. He has some letters that he can take to the heads of the synagogues. Damascus is about 150 miles away, so it would take him probably five, six, maybe seven days to travel there and round up the Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. So it says this. He's on the road. This is verse 3. It says, Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone above him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So I want you to picture this scene. Try and put yourself in Saul's sandals. That he's walking along, and all of a sudden he hears a voice, Saul, Saul. He's called by name. Imagine somebody calls you by name. And they says, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't, say, why, he doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Or why are you persecuting Christians? He says, why are you persecuting me? And then he says, this is Jesus. Tells him who it is. And I tell you, as I, as I listen to this story, one word comes to mind. And I don't know if this is the word that came to mind for Saul. But it's the word busted. He's just busted. You know, because here he is spreading, going around places, trying to get rid of Christianity, to get rid of the name of Jesus, and Jesus appears to him. And I say busted because has this ever happened to you where you're talking to somebody, or I'm sorry, you're talking to somebody about somebody else, right? But you're not talking in a way that's very uplifting towards that other person, right? And then they walk into the room, and you're like, oh boy, did they hear what I said? And you just feel busted. I think that's how Saul felt, just plain busted because he'd been found out. Now, 
Up until this point in time, what did Saul believe about Jesus? We don't know for sure, but we can take a pretty educated guess that he believed that Jesus existed. He didn't believe that he was a fictitious character. He believed that Jesus existed and that he was crucified. But he didn't believe that he was the Son of God. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And he didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But what Paul or what Saul was definitely about is he understood that he was a Jew, a Pharisee, a leader of the Jewish faith. And because of that, he had a certain belief system about salvation. That the way to get to heaven is you have to obey the law. Obey every single thing in the law as best as you possibly can, and then you can go to heaven. That's what pleases God. But when Jesus came, Jesus said something very different than that. Jesus said, salvation is found through me. Salvation is found through a relationship with me. And so as Saul listened in on the Christians, on Peter and Stephen and other people sharing the gospel, they were talking about that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, he is risen from the dead, and it comes through a relationship with Christ. And that was so very different than what Paul had thought all along. But he knew those truths, he just rejected them as false. And so then Jesus comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I am Jesus. And in an instant, his life was changed. Because he knew that truth, he just didn't believe it was truth. But then when Jesus speaks to him on this road to Damascus and he has this experience, he realizes that Jesus is everything that the disciples and the apostles and others had been preaching about him. Again, we're talking about how do we go about changing the world. The first thing we need to understand is this, is believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. First for yourself, do you believe that Jesus is the hope of the world? Do you believe that for yourself? Have you trusted him as your savior? But then second is, do you believe that Jesus is the hope for the entire world? that every person the world over needs to hear about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. Do you believe that Jesus is the hope of the world? Now, again, we're answering this question of how can you make a difference in the world? How can you make an impact in the world? And if you're thinking about that, chances are you're going, that seems pretty overwhelming. I don't know that I can make a difference in the world. I'm just little old me. I'm just kind of doing my thing in Charleston, West Virginia. I'm doing my thing in wherever you live. I don't know if I can make a huge difference in the world. That seems too big of a task. It seems overwhelming. It very well may have seemed overwhelming to Saul at this time too because he didn't sort of immediately get this instructions that he was going to change the world. Listen to what happens next. Verse 6. This is Jesus still speaking, and he says, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. 
Now, if you have a, a, a Bible uh, with you, I want you to do this, or if you print it or uh, electronic, I want you to circle the word rise in verse 6, and then the beginning of verse 8, I want you to circle the word rose, okay? Circle those two words, and then draw a line between them. If you have an electronic Bible, highlight those two in your phone Bible, okay? The word rise in verse 6, and the word rose in verse 8. And here's why. Is Saul gets an instruction from Jesus. It's rise and go. And the first thing that Saul does is he rises and he goes. It says he rose and he went to Jerusalem. And here's why that's important. That when we think about what it is that God wants you to do, you don't have to know everything that God has in front of you. All you need to do is the next step in front of you. What is it that God wants you to do next? You know, Saul didn't know that he would write the New Testament at this point in time. He didn't know that he'd have the opportunity to preach the gospel to kings and rulers in the future. He didn't know that he was going to do half the stuff or any of the stuff that he was going to do. All he knew is that Jesus said, rise and go. And so what did he do? He rose and he went. It's kind of like that old adage, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? That's what Saul was doing. Just take the first step. So as God is laying on your heart what he wants you to do, what's the first step? You don't have to have the whole thing figured out. What's the first step? Do you, does he want you to start a prayer list? Does he want you to begin to meet with some people about starting a ministry? Does he want you to stop doing something, clear your plate so that you can focus on what he wants you to do? What is it that's the next step, the action that's in front of you? You do that, and then you wait for the one that's after that. Then it continues on, verse 10. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, if you're Ananias at this point, what are you thinking? If I'm Ananias at this point, you know what I'm thinking? No. There's no way. This is Saul of Tarsus who has been murdering people, overseeing the murder of Christians in Jerusalem. And he has some papers that say that he can come and arrest Christians in Damascus and take them back to Jerusalem. So I don't think I'm going, how about we compromise, God? How about I pray for him right here, even though he's over there? That would work because you're a big guy. You could do that. Or how about I go over and I pray silently outside the door, right? So if, if I'm Ananias, I'm going, I don't think I'm going to do this. So what does Ananias say? It says this, verse 13. It says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He says the same thing that I said, and the same thing I think most of us would say. You go, I don't really want to go and walk into that 
hornet's nest. I don't really want to go and be with that guy. And you know, I love Ananias in this story. He's kind of a side character. And there's sort of another theme going on here that we won't get into much. But I love the fact that Ananias took a risk. He went, and we'll see this in a few verses, but he went to Saul. He went to him. He took the next step. He didn't know what the step after that was or the step after that, but Jesus said, go, and then he goes after a little bit of hesitation. But here's what I want us to see about Saul in, this, in what um, the Lord speaks to Ananias, and I'll read it again. It says uh, in verse 15, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of of Israel. It says that he is an instrument, he is a vessel. The word in the original Greek is skaios. It's this word that means uh, an instrument or a, like a bowl to carry something along. And so that's what his job is. His job is to carry, this is Saul's job in the future, is to carry the gospel all around the world. That is what God has called him to. Here's the question that I have for you in the third action, is identify to whom God is calling you. Who is it that God is calling you to? What is it that God is calling you to? What ministry, what place, what group of people is God calling you to? Is it high school students? Is it college students? Is it kids? Is it a rescue ministry? What is it that God is calling you to this morning and with your life? And, you know, as this, this morning I was, I was thinking about this and just, I was really um, just kind of encouraged as I look around River Ridge Church and I see all the people who are really giving themselves to something that is gospel-centered, that is kingdom-oriented. I thought about Christy Legg. She was up here leading worship. And she leads Celebrate Recovery with a team of people and how those folks are giving themselves so that people can get over their hurts and their habits and their hang-ups and face their addictions and conquer their addictions with God's help. You know, I got to thinking about all the people that lead Young Life who are part of River Ridge Church. You've got all these leaders who go into the high schools and build relationships with kids who would never set foot in a church, and they build a relationship and they share the gospel that they might become Christians, and then one day set foot in a church, this church or somewhere else. But that's a high calling that takes boldness. Thought about um, Pamela Swanson, who leads our MOPS ministry with a team of people, and how that group of people has a heart for mothers of preschoolers. And how hard that phase of life is with all these kids and the energy that's zapped from you. And to say, let's create community and encouragement and opportunity for these women, these mothers of preschoolers. And Pamela and her team tackle that. I thought about Ryan and Barb and Chris, and they lead our Thrive Ministry. And it's this ministry that tries to connect 20s and 30s to one another so they can form community, that they can grow together and plug them into groups and how they give their lives away for that. I thought about homework buddies. That there's a group of people that go every week, once a week, to the Second Avenue Center, and they volunteer with kids, and they help kids with their homework. And I thought about the first time that I did that, and I, was, and I just, it was one of these things like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure I can help a kid with homework. I'm not even sure I know what they're doing. And I went down there the first day, and I'm helping this kid with his homework, and it's math homework, and it's division of fractions. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, I, I don't know how to do a division of fractions. But I took the first step, and I met with him, and we talked about it. And then you know what I did? I called my son, who was in eighth grade at the time, or seventh. I'm like, 
hey, Will, how do I do division of fractions? And he explained to me how to, and then I explained to this kid. But, you know, there's a group of folks who go down to the West Side on a regular basis and say, we care about kids getting an education here and getting a foot up. We want to make an impact on the world through them. And I think about all the small group leaders here at Riverridge Church, whether it's preschool or elementary or middle school or high school or leading ridge groups, and that you are heroes because you're investing in the lives of other people. You're making a difference in the world because you're leading this community of people closer and closer to the heart of Christ. That's what it means to make a difference. And so what is God calling you to? What's the ministry? What's the place? What's the people group? Who is it that God is calling you to? And, you know, there's, there's a part of me that wants us to run out of here and just go, yeah, this is awesome, and just celebrate and just go crazy. But I also realize that when we step up and say, here I am, send me, I want to make a difference, that it's hard. Listen to what it says in verse 16. I already read it, but I want to read it to you again. This is, again, Jesus talking to Ananias about Saul. It says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That when we step up and say, I want to make a difference, there is suffering involved. There is difficulty involved. It may be a financial cost. It may cost you your time. It may cost you your reputation. It's probably going to cost you laying aside some of the goals that you have for life and adopting the goals that God has for your life. It's going to cost you something. Then it continues in verse 17. It says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And I love just how Luke sees the practical side and the spiritual side. It says that he got up, and he went and had some food to gain his strength back, and he was baptized. It was like he was feeding his spiritual soul and also feeding his body as well. And it says that he took this step of obedience. The first step was rise and go. That's what Paul did. And then the second is that he was baptized. And again, he showed him the steps each way. Maybe for you, a step, a next step for you is to be baptized. So you've never been baptized as a believer in Christ. And now is the time. Then it goes on in verse 20. It says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? It says, and going back to the beginning of verse 20, it says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. And so the next part for us, again, is is imitating Paul in being a world changer and influence in the world is share the gospel. Share the gospel. And if you notice, he does this in two ways. He shares the gospel verbally. He shares what 
you know, what Christ has done. It says that. But he also shares the gospel with his changed life. He puts his life out there in front of people and tells his story of this is who I was and this is who I have become. And so for you, that's part of what it means to share the gospel. We share verbally, this is the gospel, this is who Jesus Christ is. But we also share what God has done and is doing in our lives. Next week, we're going to begin a new sermon series, and it's titled, A Story Worth Telling. And for the next three weeks, beginning next week, is we're going to do a, four, a, excuse me, a three-week series on how do we tell Christ's story, and how do we tell our story? It's going to be a series about evangelism. How do we share our faith? And I encourage you to come for the next three weeks. And if you miss the next three weeks, please listen or watch online because we're going to talk about how do we share the gospel. I'm not going to go into it more here. But there's some of us who go, man, I'm excited. I want to do that. But I also know that when we talk about sharing the gospel, there's some of us who are like, gosh, I'm not sure how to do that. Kind of brings some fear. We're going to talk about both sides of that. So I encourage you to be a part of that next week. The passage ends this way, verse 22. It says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. You know, if you're here this morning and you have a sense of what God wants you to do, it probably feels overwhelming. And you go, okay, I just need to take the next step. I get that. And it feels overwhelming. You may feel unprepared for what God wants you to do. And I have felt that over and over and over in my life. I don't feel prepared for what God is calling me to do. And at this point in time, if you were to tell Saul, who would become Paul, here's what you're going to do. You're going to write the New Testament. You're going to preach to the Roman emperors. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. He would probably go, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I could do that. But look what it says. Verse 22, it says, but Saul increased all the more in strength. You see that he grew into who God wanted him to be. He didn't have all the pieces. He didn't have all the tools. He didn't have all the knowledge right at the beginning. But over time, God strengthened him and gave him what he needed. And it says he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That Paul had this incredibly amazing gift of persuasion. He had this amazing gift of being able to speak truth into people's lives. And as a result, people came to Christ because of him. But you know what? God has given you a set of gifts as well. You don't have the same gifts that Saul had. You have different gifts. You have the gift of compassion, the gift of teaching, the gift of encouragement, the gift of prayer, the gift of evangelism, the gift of, I don't know what gifts you have exactly, but God has given you gifts. And he's going to strengthen you to develop those gifts to do what he has called you to do. And so I return to the question that I asked at the beginning. Do you want to make a difference in this world? Do you want to make a difference? Because we all have a choice when we walk out these doors. We can just keep going through life the way we've gone through life and come to church when it's convenient and nod along and take some notes and go to a home group or do a little this, a little that. We can just keep going the way that we've been going. Or we could say, God has something bigger for me. God has a place for me and a role for me where I'm going to be part of changing the world. I'm going to do something significant with my life. I'm going to make a difference over here or over here 
are in this place. And we can begin to pursue that dream, that goal, that vision that God has for us. That's the choice before us, and we all have that choice. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story. Thank you that Saul said, here I am, and he changed the world. And thank you that Ananias said, here I am, and he was part of Saul's conversion to become Paul. And God, you have a role for us to play if we will just raise our hands and say, here I am, send me. I want to do what you want me to do. And then we take the first step and the second step, and we wait for the third step, and we take each step as you give it to us. God, help us to do that. Because we know that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Let us be part of proclaiming that. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.